0: Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm very glad to welcome Wayne Barn as my guest. Wayne is the CEO of Typhoon Treatment Systems, a company on a mission to make water disinfection safe, affordable and accessible without the use of mercury. But before diving into UV disinfection and UV LED, there's one thing you need to know about Wayne. He's a repeat entrepreneur that successfully exited from his four previous ventures, the last one being Oximem, a company he co-created and led as a CEO up to its acquisition by Dupont. So when someone with such a path takes over a new challenge, you can expect to see some sparkles. Without spoiling the content of this conversation, I can already tell you this. When the full UV LED market zigs, Typhon zags. How? Well, you'll swiftly discover. Right before, let me remind you that if you like what you hear, please share this episode with a couple of colleagues and friends. Thanks to all of you that did it last year, I experienced a 530% growth on the podcast over 2021. Doubling again in 2022 will enable me to reach even more incredible guests, so you see we are all in this boat together. Please share it if you like it, and I'll see you on the other side.
1: For more information, visit gfps.com.
0: So hi, Wayne. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Antoine. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have you, to be honest, because there are so many topics which I had on my plate. I had to make some choices when preparing for that discussion. We have traditions. So let's start with the postcard. And you're sending a postcard today from Dublin. So what can you tell me about Dublin that I would be ignoring by now? <laughs>
2: well i i suppose yeah i'm i'm based in, uh, in just on the outskirts of dublin we've just weathered uh, quite a significant storm which is is quite characteristic of the irish winter so i think uh, if i think i was to encourage you to ignore anything about dublin is is to ignore it during the winter months um because it's it's wet and wild and uh, um it really is best seen uh, from the spring through to the summer so i would encourage you to come then
0: well, the last time we've discussed about Dublin on that microphone, it was with uh, Brian Moloney from Storm Harvester, and it was about storm water management. So it sounds to me like there is a pattern. Not to believe that it's always bad weather in Dublin, but I might be suspicious.
2: Yeah, I think the I think the Irish are often accused of anticipating bad weather and therefore writing off the day perhaps why this is why traditionally they went to so many pubs um not so much anymore but uh yeah we, we certainly have the ability to look out the door in the morning and think well today is going to be a terrible day but often it doesn't really reflect the actual what actually goes on during the day it's, it it tends to be you know lots of everything four seasons in one day even <laughs>
0: We will be discussing about UV LED in a minute, so that's going to be our deep dive and and what you're doing right now. But right before, I'd like to understand something, because when I was looking at your path, there's a concept which I never heard before, which is capital-intensive project as a service, and that is linked to what you do with Methods Capital Limited. So can you just tell me what that means now, which I picked fully out of context, but can you explain me that?
2: Yeah. Okay. So this is something I've been involved with, I suppose, unintentionally initially um, for a long time. A lot of the businesses that I've been involved in for the last 15 years have been capital intensive. And uh, as a consequence, as I've scaled or grown businesses serving the resource efficiency space, I've recognized that there's lots of challenges that you face. And one of those challenges that you typically will face is the risk an end user will typically have to enter into against their balance sheet once they've decided to purchase your technology and i felt that you know that was probably something that i could help with if if i was going to accelerate the innovation journey for a tech entrepreneur, specifically myself. (laughs) And I felt that there was probably better ways of utilizing my equity capital, which usually has the consequence of reducing the founder position significantly when you burn through your equity capital. So I I came up with the idea that actually there would be um, the possibility of matching capital with projects that still had a high degree of technical risk But so long as the appropriate counterparties could enter into an agreement which clearly set out the KPIs or the deliverables, then there was no reason why you couldn't take a capital-heavy product or project and enable it in much the same way as we enter into service agreements. So the balance of risk then moves to the provider of that capital. And the tech innovator is then allowed a pathway to still enter into what feels like a capital purchase and the end user enters into something that doesn't have the technical risk on the balance sheet but all of the advantages that come along with that particular technical option from day one month one out of that idea was born method
0: capital but why would method capital take the risk what is the trigger
2: well i, I suppose look like everyone um it's always a race to be second right um so we're not suggesting for a minute that we would enter it blindly into you know, contractual arrangements with untested technologies. What we are willing to do is enter into contracts with um, technologies that are proven at a particular scale. And if if that scale opportunity with an end user is 5, 10x, maybe even sometimes 20x, then that's the risk that Method Capital would be willing to take.
0: Are you focusing on the water sector or is it more agnostic?
2: It's definitely wider than the water sector, and, and certainly um, you know talks to uh, specifically resource efficiency and sustainability. So water absolutely plays its part, and uh, as a non-exec within the business, um, I have an awful lot of contact with the with the water sector, obviously, and so I do find myself corralling and driving um, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs towards that to my colleague, Doug. But, you know, certainly, you know, waste to value, waste to energy um, is probably uh, a hotter area. But uh, yeah, it's it's it certainly uh, keeps us busy.
0: So now I'm going to frustrate everybody because, you know, I would have many follow up questions, but I said that those are the topics we don't cover today. So I'm going to switch. (laughs) You're involved with the Solar Impulse Foundation as well. What do you do there? I'm no longer active with Solar Impulse, but for a period of my
2: life where I had time, um, I actually worked with them as one of their solution experts. So... I basically invested time in helping them validate, um, I suppose, applications from various companies who are seeking to get the uh, Solar Impulse badge. And, and that was quite a, a body of work, as you could imagine, to get to over a thousand solutions. So that was my involvement and hugely rewarding and very happy to be involved. And I think uh, uh, Bertrand and the team are, are absolutely fantastic. And, and actually, I'm still working with them peripherally with Method
0: Capital as well. I would find it awesome one day to be able to just name drop Bertrand Picard like that. You know, oh, he's awesome. So <laughs> you get me here. Oh, he is awesome for sure, yeah. So watch me do that transition from solar to UV. Actually, I know you were in, in Aquatech because I've I've seen you physically there. I don't know if you had the chance to walk the floor like I did. But what, what surprised me when I was walking the floor in Aquatech is that I've seen so many different UV technologies suppliers. And that was a surprise to me because... You usually know the big names, Trojan, Suez, Xylem, just to, to name a few. But I was just wondering, you know, it was much more crowded than than, than that. So, th- so there were like eight, nine, ten different brands. And I was struggling to find what was different from one to the other. And I've been discussing with, with Paul O'Callaghan on that microphone about his dynamics of water innovation thesis. And he has a strong example of the UV technology. And he says that the UV technology took some decades to be adopted but was in the middle of the market in in the mid 80s and is is really a major technology since the 2000s so why do we still have so many different brands trying to have different approaches do you have a rationale for that
2: yeah i i suppose uv i think it's very clear to everyone you know that it's a really important contributor to um, safe drinking water um, certainly for the last 25 plus years. So th- th- I don't think there's any uh, challenge or, or, or issue with people's understanding of, of how it's how it's contributed. I suppose where it's becoming interesting the last uh, 10 plus years is in, in terms of actually the, the UVC LED transition. And, and so, you know, at the moment, obviously uh, water benefits from, I suppose, uh, an exemption under Minamata and Rojas for the use of mercury and and to to utilize u uh, v in in the conventional way, we use mercury vapor lamps and and so no no one really knows when that that exemption is is going to be removed but it's not going to be removed until such time as uh, alternative solutions are available. And and heretofore, you know, they haven't presented. But I think with uh, with the likes of Typhon and, and others, I think we're starting to see a, a time in the future where it's no longer required to, to deploy UV utilising uh, mercury vapour lamps. Um, so I, I think that what you're seeing evident in in Aquatech is the start of that significant transition. So you you would have seen an awful lot of the UVC LED manufacturers. So the supply chain was was clearly on show, as were uh, the conventional distributors and manufacturers of conventional solutions. So I, I think you're starting to see a recognition that the transition is taking place. Most actively, obviously, at the the lower end of the scale. So point of use is is really it's a new market for the most part and that's really where UVC LED got its first significant toehold in in the market uh, so obviously to to put a, a small number of LEDs in a point of use application is relatively straightforward it doesn't come under you know some of the more regulated aspects of municipal grade disinfection and you have now seen those uh, same suppliers move from point of use up into point of entry. I think that that's the explanation I would give you.
0: There's a lot to unpack in that explanation. So uh, first, you've mentioned Typhon. Maybe we shall say that Typhon is the company you're you're heading right now. We'll come back to Typhon in a second. I'd just like to understand your starting point. So you were mentioning this mercury lamp. So that is currently what is used by, I would say, most of the players on the market. But I, I think most is is even an understatement. It's really everyone is using mercury. Vapor lamps, so why do they use that and you've you've touched a bit on the problem with that, but what is really the problem with these mercury vapor lamps yeah um well, well I, I suppose the problem is exactly as you defined
2: it is the fact that they contain mercury that, that is the only issue really um, that forces the transition. There are other less dramatic uh, issues um you know um, obviously they're high energy consumers. They represent, really, I suppose, an analog system that's been available for, as I say, around a quarter of a century, and they're suboptimal in in terms of the technical application. But the reality is is that they deliver a really, really imperative outcome for municipal and industrial users for the eradication of bacteria and viruses, and uh, and without them, um, you know, we, we would not have safe and clean drinking water. So I'm not suggesting for one second that there's something that needs to be removed from the market tomorrow morning. It's not that at all. The utility uh, use, uh, grade users that, that utilize these technologies install, you know, very, very significant infrastructure in order to mitigate any of the risks from uh, the interface with mercury or glass at significant cost to the organization. But I think, as I say, you know, it's, it's well recognized that the transition is coming. I don't think I don't think you would have anyone uh, come on your show, even from the conventional market, that would would argue against the fact that one day the market will be dominated by 100% by UVC LEDs. It's not a case of if, it is just a case of when.
0: So just before going into UVC LED, you mentioned that everybody knows UV and that it is a well recognized technology. Yet, if I want to play the devil's advocate here, for sure, UV is a big thing, but it's not the dominant technology. Even if you take disinfection itself, I think chlorine is still ahead. So there's two ways to look at that. The first is to say one day everybody is going to move out from UV mercury and UV LED is going to replace it because it's it's a better solution. The other way is to say maybe UV mercury is right now a limiting factor and the day you don't have that limiting factor anymore because you have better energetical efficiency and you don't have mercury at all, maybe you can have a a new growth and a new bloom for UV technologies. So, you know, I, I've said it's a major technology. Do you think it's a major technology with stable, steady growth in the future, or is it still a growth prospect? And do you believe in something big happening for UV?
2: I think that the way I would look at it,
0: it just to, to talk a little bit about the chemical side, I
2: suppose, I think chlorine is something that's going to remain pervasive in the industry particularly for network management. So, you know, UV is fantastic at destroying DNA and RNA for the likes of E. coli, cholera, cryptosporidium at that particular point of application or the point of dose. Obviously, in terms of managing networks, dosing with chlorine or with chemicals is is going to be more difficult to move away from. And until we have, and I'm sure we will one day, uh, fantastical uh, bots that will... down the network and and keep it clean with the use of UV LEDs, I I think we will, for the most part, rely on chemicals for network management. But I do see that through the transformative use of, of LEDs, that we open up the possibility of transforming the industry because it's a digital solution, which basically allows us the possibility of being far more reactive to the circumstances in which we're treating or dealing with at a a given time. So the, I suppose the, the analog solution to give it a label is basically operating for the most part at a particular level of output, which is really airing on the the worst case and and as a consequence, that's, uh, it's generating an awful lot of um, heat to deliver the dose. as a consequence is incurring quite a lot of fouling because the the heat encourages fouling on 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 the lamps which then requires human interfaces to to get involved with cleaning and and lamp replacement and plus there's kind of a a, an ongoing degradation of the light over the the useful lifetime and the light really isn't i suppose capable of reacting to the actual real-time dose requirement because it's an analog system. Um, I think uh, what UVC LEDs bring to the table is the fact that if you have the appropriate up and downstream monitoring of your system, then you can apply the appropriate dose real time and consume the appropriate amount of energy required to affect the dose levels. That ability to instantly turn up, turn down, turn off, the solution is far more sustainable it's sustainable in the sense that you're only using the energy required to deliver the dose at a given time. Even the dose approach is far more targeted. So we really are affecting, um, I suppose, dose dose outcomes in in so many different ways. So we we optimize really against three levels. So one is we use a, a more germicidally efficient UV dose. So because it it is effectively targeting a wavelength that is much more efficient at DNA or RNA destruction. Which one? 265 nanometers. And uh, if you look at, uh, I suppose, mercury vapor lamps, they're operating at 254. So we get a germicidal bump as a consequence of the wavelength that we would focus on. We then also... Uh, I know you've you've seen our our video, so uh it looks like a, a scene from Star Wars as I think you carried it on it. It, it, we're effectively we're deploying the photons in a much more targeted and efficient way. Unlike the distribution geometry of a conventional mercury vapor lamp, we have a a much more efficient distribution of photons across the cross-section of our reactor. And basically, we're amplifying the photons so that they have the maximum effect. And the third multiplier is the fact that we're hydraulically optimizing. So we're creating a a disrupted swirl, if you like, across the flow path of our reactor, which means that we're interacting with um, 100% of, of the flow that's coming through the system. And so all of those things together basically allow us to have sort of an amplified outcome and it delivers a huge efficiency in terms of energy And in terms of effort and in terms of footprint for dose rates and when you can effectively in milliseconds, turn that up, turn that down, turn that off. It means that you're getting the most effective lifetime out of your LED. You're getting the most effective use of that LED in that piece of critical infrastructure. I've yet to meet an engineer that doesn't see the value in that transition.
0: Okay, there's again a lot to unpack in what you said. Let me just start by checking if I got it right. So there's two times three advantages. The first three, which i written up, is this fouling that you can eliminate it because your lamps are no longer heating, which means it's no longer the perfect place for this biofouling, which anyone which was ever in, involved with, with UV you know, knows the, the, the struggle. The second is the lamp aging. And I remember my time when I was designing UV reactors you need to take that into account and then a consultant tells you you have so much lamp aging so you have to account for that because if it's laid out for 15 years then you have to still have by these 15 years the same intensity which was needed which means you overdesign when you you, you first build it and the third is the fixed dose i mean if you're using this analog as you said it then it is designed once for all so that was i would say the three direct advantageous if you replace it one-to-one. And then you have additional benefits. And I'd like to dig a bit deeper in these additional benefits because you said this germicidal bump because of the specific wavelength you're using, so 265. In mm-hmm. conventional UV, you have this low-pressure and middle-pressure lamps. And one is at a fixed rate, this 254 you were mentioning, and the other is using a, a multispectral approach. What is the reason that you target this 265? It would be disingenuous for me
2: to suggest that the power and output of of UVC LEDs today are efficient enough and high enough in order to literally begin a practice of of direct lamp for LED replacement. So we're, we're a long way away from that. So I suppose Typhon's USP is the fact that we have been able to bridge a fairly cavernous divide between point of use, point of entry, and municipal scale. And so in order to enter into municipal scale, we're having to amplify the baseline advantages of UVC LEDs today. So the three areas that we give that amplification or deliver that amplification is is around, as I say, germicidal efficiency. So we take a much more targeted delivery. And so every uh, milliwatt of energy that we apply is being delivered against that wavelength. So we get the most... Efficient use of our photons against the genetic destruction of the viruses and, and bacteria.
0: But really, for me to get that one right, for the layman, really, if you go targeted, that's the maximal efficiency. Where against this this wide, wide range, where you would be a bit shooting in all the directions. No, you say you got two hundred sixty-five, and that's the maximum efficiency. Yes. Very clear. Yeah, and
2: and um, as I say, combined with the amplification and targeted focus. Of the photons within the reactor uh, cross section. Let's
0: discuss that one sure. because that that was this Jedi style <laughs> part of your video. It's uh, you have these these mirrors and these reflectors, which enable you to target. So, how does that work? And is that the essence of the added value of Typhon?
2: Well, I, I I don't think it's the uh, I don't think it's the essence. I, th- I think the overall optimization. If you like, we, what we're actually doing is we're taking we can take a UVC LED with a wall plug efficiency of maybe we're currently working with anywhere from three to 6% wall plug efficiency. And and so you have to argue or ask the question, well, how do you compete with a conventional murky vapor lamp, which is achieving 35, 40% wall plug efficiency? And so you have to break it down in quite an unconventional way. And so that unconventional way really needs to consider, well, okay, if you're, if you're applying this power and, and achieving a photonic output well then what are you getting for that photonic output so we're distilling it down to the absolute needs and requirements so ultimately we have to deliver against a US EPA regulated standard that we've been validated against so you know if we're if we're going to uh, to achieve that well then you know we have to do that in, in the most efficient way with the the products or, or solutions that are available in the marketplace so The Germanicidal efficiency helps us deliver a a bump, if it's the best way I could characterize it, in efficiency. We use a a proprietary reflector to ensure that the the photons are delivered exactly where we want them to be delivered in our array, within our uh, cylindrical uh, reactor. And the vortex or swirl that we create means that we get the maximum uh, contact within that vortex. So all of those things basically aggregate up into something that can compete in the early stages of uh, a Totex lifetime against what is available today. And I think that they, we, we occupy a, a pretty lonely position in the marketplace um, in terms of those that have actually taken and commercialized UVC LEDs for the municipal scale market.
0: Let me put that question in the fridge because that is my follow up question. But right before, I'd like to understand what you just said with this uh, wall plug efficiency. So you say that today, UV LED, because of the technical limitations existing today, has this three to six percent wall plug efficiency against mercury lamps, which would be at 35 to 40. There's this height slow, which I've seen on your website and which I've seen at different places when I was looking for a bit of material to discuss today and the Heights law claims that the cost per lumen for LEDs falls by a factor of 10 every decade and the amount of light per LED package increases by a factor of 20. So now if I take this three to six person wall plug efficiency and I'm looking at getting at this 35 to 40 so forgetting about the welcome side effects, forgetting about any kind of additional optimization you are able to deliver as Typhon. But just if one-to-one the technology would have to compete, does that mean that we understand it right, that in one decade we are so far, roughly speaking?
2: Yeah, I, I think what it shows you is, uh, what Hayes Law shows you is, is that... Um, you know, in terms of where we've got to today, I think it, it certainly is, it lays down a, a pretty interesting precursor for where we're going over the course of the next 10 years and perhaps 20 and so on and so forth. So I don't think you'd find anyone that would dispute the aggressive transition that occurred within white light um, from you know the tungsten lamps to LEDs. For many of us, it actually, it happened really, really quickly. You know, we went from going to the hardware store, trying to find the replacement lamp for the ceiling light to ending up, you know, leaving with something that didn't look anything like uh, what we had originally inserted there and and gave us uh, all these efficiencies. So it just fell on top of us. It felt like overnight, perhaps. But we all know the reality was it did not occur overnight and they've become the cost has come down radically. The output has gone up significantly. And the reality is is that we now install a bulb in our, you know, a, an LED lamp into our home and, and we expect it to last for possibly even uh, the next 10, 15 years. Uh, so it, I think that uh, that's why it is so easy to persuade uh, the market that actually this this is also occurring in UVC LEDs. And, and there's no question, one of the positive outcomes of the you know the coronavirus is is that UVC has been given incredible attention over the course of the last twenty four to thirty months uh, as a consequence of this horrific virus and and that I've seen certainly in the last twelve months an unprecedented bump in uh, in in terms of um, supply chain roadmaps that I'm seeing for the next uh, three to five years and 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 so and I, I'm I'm a hundred percent positive that's as a consequence of COVID yeah.
0: So let me take my question out of the fridge, which is your, your specific position in that market. Because UVC LED nowadays, you can see it, you know, with these kind of pens. So you, you can disinfect your glass of water. You can see it on this fountain. So you have like a point of use disinfection. So that is the traditional approach at UV LED. And when I was reading the, the, the history of Typhoon, it sounds to me like the very first encounter between the founder of the company and UVC LED was in 2013 with this point of view disinfection. But if I look at what you're doing today, you're taking the fully opposite route. You're saying, okay, maybe many players are in that area. What we are doing, and we are the only ones in the world doing that, it's we target the municipal size. And you have a running reference plant, which is the Cum Winton Water Treatment Works. Can you tell me a bit about that one and why you're targeting that portion of the market?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's really interesting. I became CEO of Typhon at the beginning of this year. It's certainly um, taken a, a really unconventional uh, route for a water tech startup and one that I think uh, uniquely positions it um, for a, a really interesting and compelling future. The, if you go back to a conventional SME, you, you, would, uh, you would imagine um, after seven years that it would have a, a multitude of you know, small, maybe larger scale pilots, no one really necessarily taking the the technical risk to deploy at large scale, and you know they find themselves usually within five years in this sort of you know valley of deaths, you know that that everyone talks about because the risk in water is 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 really a a very serious uh, hurdle to to overcome and and, and so The journey that Typhon went on with um, United Utilities through the innovation lab actually gave it a really significant opportunity to collaboratively risk take, if you, if you like, during the course of the last five years and four or four, four to five years, and uh, you know there was a number of of deployment iterations. As you could imagine, we didn't just show up one day and receive an order for the largest UVC LED application in the world. We had to work and fight hard for that, and, and do lots of collaboration with with the the customer and ensure that, that, that there was no risk to the public. No risk to the enterprise. But what I find myself with now is, is you know, Typhon has one customer, you know, one large customer, and it happens to be the largest UBC LED plant in the world, 29,000 cubic meters per day. So, you know, on any scale, um, that is an enormous uh, treatment works. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the principal application is to mitigate against crypto.
0: Cryptosporidium, that's cryptocurrency, not just to do... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, thank you for qualifying. Sorry, I didn't want to. to, 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 to the floor. <laughs> no, no, it's
2: okay. Um, so one, one customer, enormous deployment, you know, certainly uh, gives us a platform to consider where we sit in the overall landscape. And when you reflect on the competitors for UVC LED, you find that it's very, very busy at point of use, point of entry. And certainly for the last number of years, I think we would have considered that that gap would have closed considerably and and maybe even a lot quicker than we would have wanted. But we still find that there's quite a cavernous divide between the scale that we're at and where the, let's say, the, the mass market for UVC LED is. So that affords us some interesting options and opportunities. And it does certainly demonstrate to us and I think anyone who interfaces with us that our technology really does amplify the advantages of UVC LED. So our focus is definitely on large scale municipal applications. The system that we have installed there is a six reactor system, and I would say is reflective of probably the lower end of the opportunity that we wish to serve in the future. So I I think if you were to apply kind of a a Pareto law to this, we, we, we feel that look, 20% Twenty percent of the uh, of the footprint opportunities globally are likely uh, to account for about eighty percent of the asset spend. So they're typically serving very large populations, and they're the ones that we're most interested in, and they're the ones that we think that we can deliver the most value in. Um, and by coincidence, uh, not it obviously occupies the most amount of LED real estate within those opportunities as well. So we we believe the bigger the LED real estate, the more value we can bring to the table.
0: I have a question on, on your, your target because you just explained why that is an opportunity and why, why that sets you as a different player in terms of UV LED. But in terms of, of Ue technology, that means on that size, you're going in one-to-one against giants, the ones I've mentioned in the beginning of that conversation. So this Trojan, Xylem, Suez, or Soon Veolia. Is that a risky position to be in, is that a crazy opportunity? And what's different with Typhon, which makes that you're successful there, and they are still somehow stuck with uh, mercury lamps, and they, they don't push that, that much the, the, the UV LED opportunity, which might be for them also the future.
2: Yeah, I, I see what you mean. I, I think if we were entering into this in any undifferentiated way, I think absolutely it would be commercial suicide. Um, so I, I don't disagree with that point. I think we're highly differentiated. So the fact that we obviously offer a solution um, that's mercury-free—I mean, I—I I don't believe that uh, you know that the, the market wants to remain tied to to mercury i think if a, if a realistic solution that's economically viable presents that's low risk validated i absolutely believe that the market is ready willing and able to engage and embrace that in much the same way as united you know, utilities have so i i think that we've already demonstrated that the market is interested i think we've you know, we've we validated with an end user and uh, we've, you know, achieved U.S. EPA accreditation and validation. So we have all of the, the components in place for a, a growth scaling opportunity, which we don't see. We don't see that being restricted to UK or Europe. We think that this is a global opportunity. I certainly believe that he, you know, the, the majors, uh, for want of a better description, are absolutely alert and aware and attuned to the fact that the market at some point will be cannibalized and uh, will be cannibalized by businesses like ours. Yeah, I think it would be unrealistic to imagine that they aren't already considering or engaged in or in the activities which mitigates their market risk in the future. And, uh, you know, I, I think that if I was to describe you know, Typhon's opportunity in in the, the future it was would be certainly that uh, as soon as a major declares that they're going to move to a mercury free solution, I think I think what you would have there is the equivalent of a street fight, and I think Typhon would uh, would be a knife. <laughs> so uh, you always want to be a, a knife in a street fight uh, when when the commercial titans are are fighting it out. I think that's a sort of an obvious analogy of what potentially could happen with
0: Typhon in the future. Well, still, let me try to translate that one because being a knife is one thing, but what you're hinting to is that the day that one of these big players goes and says, we are mercury free, uh, they might struggle to do that internally and they might want to grow externally, which means get very close to you and probably make a good offer that you will have the opportunity to refuse because there are three of them and you can up the game okay there's no question but um and 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 we'd be fairly
2: attuned with this and uh but you know obviously some are already have made r d investments and or are pursuing uh, a course of action that offers them a a path to a mercury-free portfolio in the future, but there are others that have not been quite so proactive, and there's others that have not been quite so successful in terms of their their, their R&D roadmap. I think we do still need to have uh, competition at this scale in order to accelerate the market. I think it will be good for the customer. I think it'll be good for Typhon. I think it'll be good for the supply chain. And uh, I see that there's a certain inevitability about what I'm describing there. Perhaps that inevitability is something that we'll come back and talk about in some years to come. But I do see that that absolutely is coming, yeah.
0: Well, when I look at your capital structure right now, you are backed by Saudi Aramco, which is probably the biggest company in the world. And you're backed by the the largest uh, UV LED manufacturer in the world. So is there a different path which would be possible for you to become the fourth major, which just happens to be UV LED? but could be standing on its own and become the big name next to the ones I've I've repeated several times now?
2: I think it would be a really big mistake to pursue the strategy they were pursuing if we imagined that there was only one potential outcome and that was to, to exit to a major. I think there's a very, very significant engagement opportunity for us and, and the end users to deliver a really compelling solution, leveraging some of the tools that I've already described to you at the top of the show, you know, the idea that uh, that we can deliver uh, disinfection, for instance, as a service, I think is a very real one. I think that uh, if you think about the, the Totex journey that most most of our customers are considering, it's a 15 to 30 year life cycle. So you've got a really attractive life cycle there with a counterparty that um, is, is tier one. And, and so I, I see... That, that can can translate very easily into um, something that's that's more service orientated which means that the customer the end user can step back from let's say a, a longer return cycle from Totex, and we can we can flatten that and and give them or deliver value up front uh, you know month one day one and so I, I think that we will disrupt this market in more than one way, not just with the UV technology, not just with the control and optimization technologies that we bring to the table, but also with um, more unique business models that, that I think will be account- will take more account of the risk that our end users face. And uh, when we need to share some of that risk burden in, in order to accelerate the
0: adoption cycle. You've mentioned how Typhon today has one customer one very large and impressive one, but, but one. Is it a target for you in the next one, two years to expand the customer base?
2: Absolutely. If I was to characterize the projects that we pursue uh, today, and um, we pursue, to use a, a, a Google term, uh, moonshot applications, we're always interested in, in pushing the boundaries of, of what's possible with UVC LEDs. Once we've achieved, I suppose, those type sort of outcomes, then we... Aggressively work to commoditize that technology and application, and to be able to generate it at volume and scale at a low cost base, and that's exactly what we're in the process of doing with the reactor system that you've you've seen deployed at Comwinton. We're also very active on the R and D front. Our next significant customer is actually in Saudi Arabia, Saudi Aramco, and that's actually a, a reuse project. Now. And uh, the without getting into too much detail, it's not something that you would typically find UVC LED. Uh, solutions orientating towards because they require a higher power demands because of the UV, UVT concentrations and, and they tend to be a little bit more challenging and trickier. What we want, what we aim to demonstrate in the first half of next year, is is that um, that we can expand uh, our market beyond uh, drinking water disinfection, and we are interested in exploiting light uh, in in the treatment of, of of water in order to give us better circularity in in the water sector. Certainly, uh, reuse has, has become a, a very hot topic in the last ten years, particularly in water stress regions. So we welcome the opportunities that are afforded us. Uh, as a consequence of those partnerships that we have with, with Saudi Aramco. I think the type of things that you'll hear me talk about over the course of the next 18 months, 24 months, will be more moonshots, more interesting applications of the technology that weren't considered possible prior to our entry. I think our scaling journey has absolutely started, and I think you'll be hearing an awful lot more about that, but probably not till 2023. So there's, there's a lot of work to do to, to mobilize for that, yeah.
0: So there's a scaling journey ahead, and you explain how there's more than one outcome to this journey. But if I'm looking now specifically at you and your path, you have an incredible history with exits. Because if I believe what I've, what I've read, you've successfully exited from four different companies. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah, um, I, I'm, I've been very fortunate, uh, I suppose, in, in, in the last fifteen years. It, it's not all—it's not all been roses. I can assure you, um, and uh, I have my battle scars to prove it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that I, you know, I, I continue to look forward to, to the future and, and uh, uh, look forward to my next one, as they say. You know.
0: Well, let's discuss one second your, your, your last one because you, you founded Oximem. And uh, you were the the CEO of Oximem until you jumped to Typhon, actually, if if I'm right. But in the last portion of it, uh, Oximem was uh, sold to DuPont for an undisclosed amount. So I thought now that you're out, maybe I can try my chance at getting that that amount. Is it something you are able to share, allowed to share, willing to share? I I think
2: uh, I still have um, a very good working relationship with with, my colleagues in DuPont and uh, you know it, it's it's something that I've been asked to keep confidential and and I
0: will respect that <laughs> they still know where No worries <laughs> <laughs> I had to try you know uh, but, yes. but Oxymem is uh, is in the in the business of doing membrane aerated biofilm reactor a topic we've been covering with uh, one of your former competitors because we had fluence on that microphone with gidad Yogev.
2: that's right
0: in your resume and the way you're presented on the Typhon website, it's presented like, you know, it, it doesn't, and I'm pretty sure it is the case, it doesn't happen by accident that you you, you were leading four successful exits. You're mentioning how you're, you, you are able to identify a prospect for growth and the path to success. So what is that special skill that you need in order to repeat success like that you know one time can be an accident a lucky accident but when you have that track record you have to have a special source so what is it
2: i think you have to really like what you're doing for a start Um, i think you have to be very passionate about it and i think you need to i suppose you need to be supported by a very special team of people certainly i've recognized uh, for a long time that within the mnc the multinational space and i have spent some time there that things move at a much slower pace and i don't enjoy working at a slow pace so where i've found agility and speed is is basically within startups and it's something that i i really enjoy i love the diversity i love you know the ups and the downs the downs less so but you know without them you wouldn't have the ups i love how much of an impact you can have in such a short space of time i certainly had a very uh, probably my most enjoyable journey with with Oxymem and the team and uh, was probably the most transformative in that we we spun out something that was was in the lab and and we grew and scale that and ultimately sold it to a a water major within, you know, just over six years uh, from from that spin out. So I think if you follow, and well, I know you do, if you follow Paula Callahan, he would tell you that typically that the journey should take about 16 years. So uh, I, I think I, I wouldn't suggest for one second that the Oxymam journey is over. But I think, you know, my involvement uh, had got to a point where it it could be handed over to someone as competent and capable as DuPont, who I'm absolutely sure will make it the success that it absolutely can be. Uh, And I think that's a very exciting transition.
0: For you personally, how is it? I mean, you you've founded Oximem. You've been six years on that journey, which is an intensive journey, I can imagine, because really when you're taking from the lab, and as you said, you're going three times faster than the market's average. So it's not like twenty percent faster, it's three times faster. And after a while, you're out. So you're no longer part of that of that journey. How is it personally? How do you feel about this brands and company you've exited? Is it still something you which is part of you, which you, you keep contact and everything, or is it New chapter, and typhoon is the next big thing.
2: Well, I, I mean, before I actually set the company up and spun the technology out, I actually worked within the university team for nearly three years. So it, it was almost a ten-year journey. But I think that what you you do during the, at the start of the journey is you, you begin with the end in mind, and so you're always trying to consider, you know, wh- what does success look like, and and who is. The rightful owner of that technology, if if you imagine the future correctly, for it to be uh, for it to to be pervasive, so DuPont would have been certainly um, you know on our shortlist for rightful owners, and and so when they when they approached us um with uh, you know within our um, scaling investment journey, so they were one of our through through, through the Dow Ventures um, group when they made their initial investment, we went in, on a, a four year journey with DuPont. Dow DuPont and and so it was kind of a logical outcome and and so none of this happened abruptly or um, you know, nothing. this wasn't a left of field um, offer, this was something that was negotiated over a long period of time and the outcome that we hoped and desired, you know, was fulfilled And, and so at that point the journey was over.
0: And if you always start with the end in mind, and if you always look at how does success look like, how does success look like for Typhon in five years?
2: I don't think I'd like to reveal my hand there. Um, but <laughs> I, I I I certainly believe that it will be the pervasive technology um, when it comes to, to UVC LED applications. I think already knowing the advantage that we hold over the market, I mean, there is at least, you know, three, possibly even four years to catch up with what we've achieved and i'm sure that will will tighten over time but i, I certainly think we're out there in the forefront and, and uh, as a consequence I, i've no doubt that typhon will be the the market leader for uvc led applications five years from now it is today uh, and will continue to be
0: well when it's been a fascinating deep dive unless i've missed an elephant in that room i propose to switch to the rapid fire questions
1: It's time for the rapid fire questions.
0: So in that last section, I'm raising short questions to you, which you can answer shortly. And don't worry, I'm always the one which is (laughs) sidetracking. So my first question is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? I think the most exciting project that that we're
2: working on at the moment is um, a technology within Typhon that ultimately seeks to serve the micropollutant space. Um, I explained that we have a, a fairly broad base when it comes to R&D f- leveraging light for the treatment of water. So I, I think that certainly I believe in the next um, four years, um, it, it's really, we're going to see an explosive growth in, in terms of needs and requirements for the market to be served with, with technologies that, that can deal with the micropollutant discharge, particularly. Uh, from wastewater treatment plants um, and particularly
0: is that an advanced oxidation process or what is it what you're looking at
2: yes absolutely i mean we've we've had a long history in aop but uh we're we have a a nuanced um approach which which we're currently working on at the moment I, i wouldn't like to say too much more but uh it's chemical free and um i think that uh, we've seen some uh, exciting opportunities already uh, revealed as a consequence of the, the the journey that we've been on so that that's an area that i'm i'm very excited about at the moment
0: i'm trying to build the jigsaw in my head so it's it's uv based aop and chemical free so it's not the usual suspect which is uv peroxide so um, you cannot reveal what it is
2: well, I, I I prefer not to.
0: Okay, no, no, no problem.
2: <laughs> That's okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I I think I think uh, I think AOP's been around for a very long time. I'm really I think that, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I I think it's an area that, that is is going to have to be considered when you think about um you know what what's what's going into uh, our, our bathing waters, what's going into our river systems. But we have to solve the you know the problem. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it, right? So, uh, so I I do think that we're close to seeing uh, solutions being deployed wholesale across Europe, in order to, I suppose, build the insights required in order to determine what treatment applications are needed going forward. And I think we'd just like to stay one step ahead of that.
0: You've mentioned before that even though you've exited four times successfully, you have some scars. So that goes together with my next question. Can you name one thing that you've learned the hard way?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, 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 think what I've come to recognize is is sometimes your worst day can actually be your best day. It's not supposed to be cryptic, uh, but what I've realized is that over the years, I found myself in plenty of jams or challenging situations, and and with those situations, often a, a kind of a, a moment of clarity can kind of come along with that, and and often uh, with within that time an opportunity can can come from that uh, which which results in with the benefit of hindsight results in probably a, a positive outcome uh, so uh, certainly that that's i often share that with with other entre- entrepreneurs and I, I certainly i believe that that's something that resonates with many of them yeah it's
0: a bit what you shared before that you have to appreciate the downs because that means it's going to be up again just just after which sounds absolutely wise is there something you are doing today in your job that you will not be doing in ten years? <laughs> um,
2: this is going to sound maybe a little silly, but uh, typing. I, I, <laughs> I I'm hoping I never have to type ever. I recognise that it's my main constraint, um, <laughs> so I, I'm I'm hoping technology is going to solve this for me in the, in the very near term. Um, and I, I try to stay at the bleeding edge, but if if I could type faster, and uh, make less errors and spelling mistakes, I know I could be more productive. So if I can eliminate that, that, that's what I'm chasing.
0: What is the trend to watch out for in the water sector, and you're not allowed to say UV LED?
2: Micropollutants is, is something that I, I'm, I think is, is something we're going to have to watch very, very carefully in, in the, the not-too-distant future, and I think that's,
0: that's hot. That's a very interesting one, because most of the time I hear that from people living in the, in the German-speaking area of Europe, because there are some regulations there. And uh, I've been discussing with people who even tell me, you know, it's, it's nothing outside of that. So it's, to, it's good to hear that for you, based in UK, okay, not Dublin is not UK, don't, don't, don't take me wrong, but outside of the German-speaking uh, part of Europe, you, you also believe that micro pollutants will be something big.
2: Yeah, I, I absolutely believe that. Uh, I think the I think the market believes that, um, and we see how uh, how the, the I suppose the regulations how they reveal themselves over the coming
0: years. If you were a world political leader, what would be your first action to influence the fate of the world's water challenges? And sorry for the broad question.
2: I, I think if you wanted a simple um, uh, answer, it would be uh, to, to charge or ensure that we charge a fair price for water. I, I think that. I think that would be something that would have a transformative impact on the water market.
0: I cannot tell you how much, first, I agree with that and, f- and how much I enjoy that answer. It's It's been one of the big topics we've been discussing with David Lloyd-Owen on that microphone. And yeah, I've had some hard feedback on that because I suggested that we are not paying our water enough. But it's good to hear that I'm not alone on that. Uh, sorry to bring it back to me here, but... <laughs> last closing question i mean it's been really a pleasure exchanging with you over over the past hour would you have someone as incredible as you to recommend me to have on that microphone as soon as possible
2: oh i think uh and, and i don't know that you haven't already spoken to him actually but, but perhaps uh, uh tom ferguson uh, i could highly recommend who is uh, now uh, exited from uh, imagine h2o and uh, has um, started his uh, venture journey he set up a, a, a venture firm burnt island ventures which is focused on the the water tech opportunities I, I think he's a really compelling guy i wish him every success and i think he's doing a, an amazing job uh, i would highly recommend you speak with him
0: i've listened to his interview with uh, dave mcgimsay on the water values podcast so um, he was since then, on my bucket list. But <laughs> it's good to have a confirmation. When well, it's been a pleasure. Uh, if people want to follow up with you, where shall I redirect them? What is the best place to reach you?
2: I, th- I think my LinkedIn is, is, is a pretty, uh, pretty good way to, to get to me and, and um, I'm pretty good at responding. If anyone would like to come and visit uh, our Typhon website, it, it's uh, www.typhonuv.com. Www.typhonuv, uh, and if anyone's interested in finding more about Method Capital, uh, uh, method.fund, M E T H O D.fund.
0: As always, all the links to that are in the description of that episode. So uh, make sure to check it out to see. I mean, you can see the lightsaber, for instance, which I mentioned, which you, you see on the, on the website of Typhon. I mean, to me, it's a lightsaber, I and mean, maybe the only one. You, you, you'll tell me.
2: I think you're not the first and won't be the last, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> well, Wayne, it's been a, a pleasure. I hope that uh, we'll have the opportunity to to follow up when you hit the next big milestone with Typhon. I hope so, Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me, Antoine. It was an absolute pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.